Empower the use of open source with software composition analysis from Revanera. Hello, and welcome to another software composition analysis podcast from Revanera. I'm your host, Kendra Morton, product marketing manager at Revanera. And today's guest is Martin Callanan. He is director at Source Code Control. Martin, as always, it's so good to talk to you. Great to be here, Kendra. Great, thanks. So Log4j, right? There's a lot out there um, since this vulnerability was discovered, what, two and a half months ago. Um, today, we don't really want to necessarily hash out um, what it is and what our listeners should be doing to remediate it, right? I think we're we're kind of beyond that at this point. So, but w- what we're going to talk about is where are we now? What, what's been the fallout from Log4j? And what can we learn from it to apply to our everyday processes going forward so we're really better prepared for the next Log4Shell type vulnerability? Because I think, let's just face it, there's probably going to be another one, right? Certainly is. Yeah, yeah. So All right. So, so the, here's the first question. Sorry. So okay. what, in your opinion, then, um, is the state right now? Well, I'm going to make this point by talking about something slightly different. I was doing, doing a bit of reading uh, around this subject, um, which I do on a day-to-day basis. So I was reading an article on the BBC website, which it prints off here. I was just going to quote a couple of things from this. Um, uh, there's a bug in a, a piece of open source software. Uh, it's a major security flaw at the heart of the internet and risks exposing personal uh, personal data of users of software. Does that sound familiar to you related to Log4j? So that, that article is from 2014, and it's related to a, a high-profile vulnerability in a source component, and it's called Heartbleed. So in answer to your question about where are we today, uh, it's, not about, it's not about just one particular piece of code, Log4j. It's about the principle of these vulnerabilities in open source components and proprietary software in general. So where we are today, if you think, how, how far forward are we from 2014? We're not very far forward at all. Although there is more guidance, more tools available to organizations to actually move things forward. But the question is, are they actually moving things forward. What you typically see with these is why I pulled out the Heartbleed uh, uh, press around that vulnerability in 2014. You get a spike in interest. For some reason, certain vulnerabilities get the imagination of journalists. And you see a flurry of articles about it two or three weeks later or disappears. So I've seen very few articles in the past week about Log4j. Does that mean Log4j has been completely remediated? Nobody's got anything to worry about. I know for a fact that's not the case. And we, we work with companies from various aspects of IT, not just software development and tracking open source. So for instance, we've got a, a major corpus with a major project to move legacy applications to the cloud. Um, it's a budgeted project, it's got deadlines, they put everything on hold because they just don't know how they're impacted by Log4j. So that's having a massive impact on their business and they don't know when they're going to restart that project. So they're dependent on suppliers supplying them software and they're dependent on their own software development to do that. 
Um, they've been reaching out to their software suppliers. Are we impacted by Log4j? Many of those suppliers can't answer the question. So what we're finding is people are still scrambling to find out, is it an issue? And those exercises... Still? still. Yeah. Yeah, Still. and those those exercises, and this is where the problem is, in my opinion. Those are static kind of audits of code, have we got log4j, and upgrade that. But that doesn't mean, say, if there's a vulnerability in another component, you'd find that vulnerability. So what, what I think is a risk with these types of scenarios, which are high profile, the perception is it's a one-off related to one piece of software, and it's not. I think it seems to me when, you know, you talk about Heartbleed and then your idea that, you know, there are still organizations out there who don't know if they have it, right? So there, there's mm. two problems, right? Yeah. There's probably been this kind of looking, again, looking at Heartbleed, this fix it and forget it yes. approach, number yeah. one. And number yeah. two, this we don't know. Right and and mm -hmm. and not being proactive and taking action. Well, yeah, and also related to that um, period of trying to find it. Yeah, you, you, you fast forward two or three weeks, and it's out the press, and you know, development teams may go to their managers, and their managers go to their managers for budget to buy, say, a software composition analysis tool, or to buy a service in for somebody to help them, and so the people holding the budget turn around and say, have we been impacted? And you say, no. And say, well, do we really need it? And we, we find this in general related to managing open source software composition analysis. When people who believe they need it go for budget, the response back is, show me where we've been impacted then we don't need it if we haven't been impacted. It's almost like you wait to be exploited before you you would yeah. you would budget for that. And we, we say that constantly. So I've got a customer who have been budgeting or trying to get budget for an SCA tool for over 12 months. I happen to know they've got Log4j in one of their components, uh, in one of their pro products. And the response is always, well, we need to spend here, we need to spend here, and it goes further down. The list of priorities. So say, oh, we'll, we'll come back twelve months, twelve months time. That's that's part of the problem. Yeah, absolutely. What's what's really been? Do you think then the fallout from from this vulnerability and others like it? Obviously, I I mean, based on what you've said, right? The research and that was such a great look back at at um, Heartbleed, right? There's still fallout from that. I think, right? Um, so what's been the fallout from these? You know, I, my intent was to talk about Log4Shell, but I think we've got to talk about Heartbleed. We've got to talk about Log4Shell. What's been the fallout? Well, I think you've got to talk about vulnerabilities in general. In, yeah. And um, what's now referred to as a software supply chain. So it's not just about the developers developing the code. It's also about the consumers of the application. So the people buying the software that's being, being developed Ultimately, it's their problem. They've got it deployed in their environments. How do they deal with the situation? Um, fortunately, I, I did say at the beginning, what's the difference between Heartbleed in 2014 and today? There's more guidance and there's better tools for addressing the situation. Now, something um, which started before Log4j in the US 
was an initiative about software transparency and the principle that um, software companies supplying software solutions should supply a software bill of materials, which is you know, an itemized list of the third-party code that makes up the application. So that's a step in the right direction. Um, but that's going to take time to become an, a normal day-to-day -day business approach to supplying software, isn't it? It is, yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, it At the heart of um, Log4j or the Log4Shell mm. vulnerability, I think we have to talk about dependencies, right? Which also then, right, the reason to have a software bill of yes. materials as well. But <clears throat> let's talk about dependencies. Well, yeah, it's a really good point that you raise, and it's something I was going to mention myself. Um, what we've seen with some of our customers who do this manual exercise. So the press started about Log4j. Have we got it in any of the software we developed or any of the software that's been supplied to us? And so they don't necessarily have tools that can effectively do that identification of, is it in their code? What we see is um, development teams using their developer tools, logs and things like that, excuse the pun, um, to identify third-party components in their code, but they won't be looking at vulnerability, at, at um, you know, dependencies. And so there could be a log4shell, log4j dependency that they just completely missed. So they get a false sense of security. We've also seen companies offering, you know, pre-purse quick scan solutions. And you do a quick scan and says no no log4j. So oh we're fine. But you could be still using log4j and still be vulnerable. Yeah, or your customers exactly. could still be vulnerable. Yeah, is that because you know if you're using maybe a, a free scanning tool or yeah. <clears throat> something out there that's it's not going to look at dependencies? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then you got the the, the challenges dependencies of dependencies. Mm -hmm. um, so you might find the first you know the statements in the code where it identifies dependencies, but then you're not looking at their dependencies, which mm -hmm. could be log four four J log four shell. Um, but, and that's that's a challenge. So where do security and development teams, do you think, go from here? Right now that the dust is settling on um, Log4j, I'm, I'm really concerned that people are getting desensitized a bit. Um, and again, I think you brought up a good point earlier. Um, so what, what, where do you think teams should go from I, here? I think you're right. People do get desensitized, but also the, the feeling that the problem's gone away three weeks nothing's happened to us we'll get back to business as usual and, and really the problem with software developments business as usual is pressure to get code out the door you know development deadlines uh, new features new features committed to customers new features committed to prospects and so the pressure on developers is pretty much always getting code out the door not checking for vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And the biggest kind of pushback I get when talk about these issues and adopting solutions is we're worried about disrupting development. Yeah. And, that, and that's part of the problem. And again, it, like it's I said, a real, it's a real concern. Yeah. Right. I, we, we understand that. Yeah. 
yeah. But but then so actually the press might might have hyped it up too much. You know, it's not really as big a problem as we thought. We'll get back to it or things like that. Or like I said, the one-off. We'll look at the code. It's not in our code. We'll move on. And, and like I said, it's not about log four four J. It's about the principle of uh, you could get a vulnerability any day of the week. You know, somebody discovers a flaw in a piece of code tomorrow. You've got the same problem all over again, but it won't be called log four J. Mm-hmm. You know? Just called something else, right? Yeah, and if it also if it, if you look at um, stats of download sites for code components, um, developers are still downloading the vulnerable version of log four J. Um, so you're you're a developer, you you pressed on deadline, you want to use log four J, you put it off a repository, you know you don't necessarily check its latest version um, because you're under pressure to deliver code. Yeah, that works. And it gets distributed in, in the end end product. So that's still happening today. And you can still find websites with the hop hop lead vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what what so I'm trying to get to like what's what, what needs to happen. Right. Yeah. What what needs to happen? You know, where where should in, instead of where do we go, where should we go from here? Well it's we always use the term you need to be secure by design. So rather than looking for vulnerabilities after there's an issue and you've already shipped a product, is have the principle of engineering, tracking and management of security from from design through to the start of development, through all the development process. So for instance, if you, you, you know, some open source projects are well-maintained, so there's lots of developers committing to it, updating it, and things like that. Some could be just an individual developer. Uh, some components could be, in effect, dead dead projects. The code still works, but if there's an issue, nobody's going to fix it. So what I mean by secure by design, when a developer's looking to find third-party code to address a technical challenge, that they can make a decision or they're enabled to make a decision there and then whether that is a quality valid piece of code to bring into our code based on a set of requirements defined by the company. So you avoid it rather than fix it in the future. I think you know, there's this term shift left and it's that sort of principle of um, you know, enabling developers with the right tools. You don't restrict developments. You just make them better developers by being able to identify uh, components that are flawed and don't bring them into the code in the first place. It, it's a culture, isn't it? You're yes. a good friend of mine, Alex Ryback. Yeah. We talk about this quite yeah. a lot, right? It's organizations that have or don't have a culture of really kind of best in class and best practice development processes, right? That that's a That's a... Very well, definite company culture. Well, another scenario related to all this is particularly in, say, startups or uh, mid-sized tech companies. The software development itself quite often is outsourced to India, to Eastern Europe or other, other countries. And what happens is the company outsourcing the developments gives the developers a specification and a 
and the specification will all be about functionality required by the software. It, it won't dictate terms of security or even IP licensing stuff. It would just be about the software needs to do X, Y, and Z and maybe perform at this level. And so they will get what they ask for. It could be f riddled with vulnerabilities, uh, but nobody asks them to check for vulnerabilities. So, you know, that, that, that is a problem as well. I tell you, I, I get approached by outsourced development companies almost every day on LinkedIn. And my standard response is to go back, how do you manage this supply chain problem? How do you, how do you track for vulnerabilities? And I get responses like, um, oh, we don't need to worry about that. We, we, take, we only take code off GitHub and it's managed on GitHub. So that's so they're part of the supply chain problem. They are say, passing that's, it on. That's yeah. the software supply chain. But then, but then, but then the company whose whose commissions the outsource developments don't know they've got the problem, and they're shipping their solution to their customers. Right. Yeah. So who's liable? And it is the mm -hmm. terms in the contracts to say somebody's liable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What um, what do you think um is the importance? Of or impact, and or will be the impact as we continue to see more kind of regulatory guidance coming out from different industries and organizations. Well, I think I think that's going to be the game changer. Really, um, there's increasingly more awareness from, particularly procurements, in in companies, particularly larger companies, who may have had issues historically, where they're, they're asking a question now to suppliers of software. We, so a, a company we've worked with looking at procurement, they now have some rigor when they're evaluating an application or software as a service, whatever it might be, is they want some proof about how well open source is managed in this. So you, you will not be able to sell your software unless you are managing this problem. That's where it will make a difference, where it affects the bottom line of software companies who are selling a, a solution. So it's not then the developers, it's the commercial part of a business are saying this is impacting our revenue because we can't prove that we're managing this problem. Uh, we do a lot of work for investors, investing in tech companies. And, you know, an open source audit is part of that work. Um, increasingly they look at security as well and if you're an investor your potential return if you can't sell the solution or the company can't sell their solution you won't get the revenue return and the growth in the company so I think all the activity particularly in the US around you know the executive order which is now legislation about having a software bill of materials we are seeing evidence of procurement in companies taking that on board and putting that in their requirements of software being supplied to them. So I think that's really, it's coming back from the customer now. We're not going to take your software unless you provide, say, a software bill of materials and it's accurate and or even doing your own audits like due diligence in a procurement process. So you I think know, that's going to be the game changer. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. I apologize. We we see that as well mm. um, internally. I need to check to see kind of what what kind of increase we're seeing. But over the last couple mm. of years, prior to this, prior to the cybersecurity executive order, 
we were seeing an uptick in contractual obligations to show um, that the software that we provide, you know, what's in it, um, do we have control of, of what's in our software yeah. and what Did we're it, passing on to our yeah. customers. So we've, we've seen that uptick prior to yeah. everything yeah. else that's happened over the last, what, seven, eight months. Do you, do you have a more general um, scenario which contributes to lack of awareness is at, at a business level. So you know, talk about we do work for investors investing in tech companies. The people going for investments are not the developers. You know, it's the owners of the company, the business people. And a lot of software is developed and it's not open source software. So it's not promoted as open source, you know, it's closed sourced um, and looking for investments to invest in the solution that they're developing. At a business level, because they are, are not consciously an open source company, when I see questionnaires from investors to targets asking about the use of open source, a very common response is, we're not open source, so we don't have open source. So if you don't think you have got open source in your software, are you going to manage it? No. Mm -hmm. so, so it's this kind of ignorance yeah. Uh, that we don't, we're not open source, therefore, you know, Log4J is open source. We don't have not, to worry about it. Exactly. Or we don't need to invest in developer tools and processes mm -hmm. for managing mm -hmm. that because we, we're not open source. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a, a blind, a blind spot. Mm -hmm. for there's some learning. There's some definite learning there. The biggest, right? the biggest, at the end of a process, when we work with companies in this scenario, the end of the process, the biggest or the most common statement here at the end is, I'm shocked. <laughs> By the amount of open source we've got in it, I didn't know about. Yeah, yeah, we see that as well mm. every year when we do our open source license complaints yep. and um, report. Right, that yeah. the 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 amount of what they disclose prior, like when we do audits prior to audit start, you know, they disclose their open source, and um, it's it's never near what it what the disclosure should be, mm. and it's not. It's just they didn't know. Mm. Didn't know. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thank you, Martin. This has been a great discussion. Um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward. To, you're coming back. You're gonna. You're gonna talk yep. with us some more. Um, we're gonna kind of follow up to this podcast, um, and we're gonna discuss key learnings from the log four shell vulnerabilities and others. Right. We'll talk yep. about. You, you mentioned software bill of materials. We're going to mm -hmm. talk about software bill of materials initiatives. We're going to talk about ongoing mm -hmm. due diligence. And really the importance, we brought up this idea too of being proactive, the idea of being proactive versus reactive and controlling mm -hmm. and understanding what's in your code. So yep. I'm looking forward to that. Great. All right. Thank you. Thanks for All right, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening in to our audience and until next time. Empower the use of open source with software composition analysis from Revanera.